Let us pray. Most gracious and holy God, we give thanks that you have given us your word. And we pray that you would breathe in and through this word, that it might be to us a fresh word, a living word, a word that shapes, molds, and transforms us in our hearing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 22, verses 25 to 31. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. And I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. And proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn. Saying that he has done it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We've been working our way through a series in the book of Acts. Luke wrote that. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke the, and then the book of Acts. And Acts tells the story of the early church. And early in, in Acts, there's this verse about in, in Acts 1, uh, verse 8, where we are told that the church is to be sent out, first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, witnessing to the power and love of Jesus Christ. And, and really the first few chapters of Acts is, is sort of that Jerusalem portion. And then you get into chapter 8 and you start to get into that Samaria, Judea-Samaria portion. And then once you hit into 9 and 10 and beyond, especially, you're into the ends of the earth. It's really the trajectory of Acts is this geographic movement. We're towards the end of Acts. Acts chapter 8 today where we're sort of in between this Judea-Samaria reality and the ends of the earth. And before we get there, I, I want to recall a, a story happened about a dozen or so years ago. Michelle and I were in the back seat of a van alongside my two stepsisters who would have been about five and nine at that time. My stepmother's in the front seat and my, my dad's um, the other part of the front seat. He's driving. And as we go along the highway my dad pulls out to pass the car and the speed starts to build and I don't think any of us really noticed that a whole bunch but Carly the five-year-old she calls out from the very back part of the back seat in this wonderfully innocent voice something is making us go really fast and we laughed because we all knew of course what's making us go really fast To pass the car. But we'd become so accustomed to how that works. That we really hadn't noticed. By the time we hit into this 8th chapter of Acts. Something is making the church grow. Quite fast. Something is on the move. Moving the story in and among surprising people groups. Even traditional enemies are coming to believe and follow Jesus. Acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40 is an especially notable passage. And yet I think sometimes we become so accustomed to these stories that we forget to notice why they move like they move. 
And so as you listen to this reading, I invite you to listen especially for what is making this story move forward redemptively. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you're reading? He replied, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this, about himself or or someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with the scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. An angel of the Lord sends Philip. Philip, you may recall from last week, was one of the seven men in Jerusalem who was installed as a deacon in the church by the apostles. Get up, go south toward that that road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This was equivalent to being sent to the out there portion of out there for someone from Jerusalem. It's wilderness desert region. It's remote, possibly dangerous. And along this out there road, we find an Ethiopian unit, court official to the queen of the Ethiopians, in charge actually of her entire treasury. Ethiopian, a man from a part of the world that, that nearly no Jewish or Roman person would known, have known much about, let alone known someone from there. It was considered by the Jews and Romans at that time as something of the edge of the world. Eunuch, a man who'd been castrated, whether in military defeat or to make him a servant. The Jewish law in Deuteronomy is quite clear. No one who's been emasculated by crushing or cutting off shall be admitted to the assembly of the, of the Lord. This kind is ritually unclean. Finally, it's obvious this particular unit has great responsibility and nobility and wealth. Treasurer to the queen. 
of Ethiopia. This man then was about as foreign a person as Philip could encounter. Geographically different, culturally different, religiously different. Yes, the man went to worship in in Jerusalem. At the same time, he cannot fully be part of the assembly of God as a eunuch. And then different in terms of wealth. Recall Philip is part of an early church where they gave all their possessions for the good of the community. And so Philip has really every reason to just avoid or steer around or turn away from this particular person. Maybe greet and continue on because the Ethiopian eunuch is so fundamentally different, let alone unclean. And if the story went how these stories normally go... It would seem to me the story ends here. Except the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip. Go over to the chariot and join it. Go still further toward this mystery, toward this unknown, toward this other. How often this is just the sort of nudge our love your neighbor, love your enemy God loves to give. Philip goes. He sees the man you heard is reading scripture, the book of Isaiah. A subtle reminder, by the way, that the Holy Spirit is so often working in people's lives far before the church ever arrives or even thinks anything could possibly be happening. The outsider has within him birthed a real interest in God's word. Here again, though, it seems to me there are so many ways the the redemptive, redemptive trajectory of this story could just go off the rails right now. How many of us have been in one of those family gatherings and you've got folks gathered from far and wide, folks who really, you rarely even see one another, but here you all are together. Or one of those friends gathering where you also have the friends of the friends and it's eclectic and, and someone's talking about this or that topic and they say, the Bible says... And then it's someone else who is from a different place geographically or ethnically or religiously or politically or socioeconomically. They speak up and say, the Bible does not mean that. The Bible means. In these moments, they can get pretty tense because people from different locations are considering matters of sacred importance. And sometimes things just blow up or they divide or they make for a really thick layer of agree to disagree that sits uncomfortably in the air. There seem to be so many ways the redemptive story might break to a grinding halt right here. Except, Philip does not lead with a statement, but rather a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Questions at their best are an expression of humility. Let me begin not by telling, but by hearing. Questions are at their best a way we dignify the other. Perhaps, Ethiopian eunuch, you have worked out some of your own understandings with the assumptions and learning you have. Questions at their best, they empower the other. You first. Remarkably, the question begets a question. How can I understand, the eunuch said, unless someone guides me? Deference leading to still further deference. Humbleness echoed with humbleness. Before assertion or assumptions, questions. 
The Ethiopian eunuch, did you hear? He goes even further. He invites Philip not just to converse from a few feet away, but to come and sit in the chariot with him. We're not told how comfortable Philip is or is not with this, but let's at least recall just how different these two men are, how unclean the eunuch is to Philip's perception, just how far from home Philip is. And how often in scripture, chariots especially are understood to be symbols of an empire's power and wealth. Sometimes with them an accompanying flag or demarcation of the empire. Does Philip, who holds this allegiance to Jesus as Lord and Savior above all, does he have any qualms about accepting this hospitality and sitting so fully in the Ethiopian's reality? Again, we're not told. But it doesn't take much for us to consider what it might mean if the Holy Spirit called some of us to sit in the chariot of a Muslim reading scripture or a member of the ACLU reading scripture or a member of the NRA reading scripture or someone much older or much younger or someone who immigrated illegally or someone who voted yes or someone who voted no reading scripture There are so many others who are so very foreign to what we know and believe and value. What does go through Philip's heart as he steps into that chariot? But the word became flesh and dwelt among the sin and the mess and the contradictions, loving us right where we are, and so Philip, he gets in. And the eunuch, you heard, has been reading a portion of Isaiah 53. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. And after we hear this read again, not a statement, but a question from the Ethiopian eunuch. About whom, may I ask, does the prophet Isaiah speak? Is Is he talking about himself, or is the prophet Isaiah here speaking of someone else? We should pause here. What have you been noticing is driving this story forward redemptively? Twice, God has called Philip to move. Three times, questions have been asked. Signs of humility. One, invitation of hospitality extended into the chariot. Holy Spirit, humility, hospitality. Holy Spirit, humility, hospitality. The three drivers that are putting this story into redemptive motion, and really maybe you could just boil it down to Holy Spirit, since humility and hospitality are fruit of that spirit. We often wonder what it looks like in our post-Christian society to see the truth and love and justice of Jesus Christ extend and be known among our neighbors in our world and extend and heal and forgive among our polarizations. The early church discovered the Holy Spirit loves to nudge the church toward and not away from the mystery and the unknown. And the Holy Spirit, they kept discovering, is quite willing to prompt those within the church and without the church in ways humble and hospitable. Holy Spirit, humility, hospitality. 
These drive the story into the space where now we are at the heart of a very meaty scripture, Isaiah 53. And we're not told what Philip says to the Ethiopian eunuch about the passage. But we do know that these words from Isaiah were eventually understood by the church to be about Jesus. And we are told that Philip does proclaim the good news of Jesus by talking about that passage. And so we can imagine Philip saying something like, Well, Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus is the servant of God spoken of here who humbled himself to the point of an unjust death that he might take upon himself all of our sin and the evil of this world. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb spoken of here. Jesus is the servant who eventually was raised from the dead and broke the power of sin and death, that all might be freed, all might be forgiven, all might be welcomed into the household of God for all eternity. I mean, it's no wonder Holy Spirit, humility, and hospitality move our story forward. The heart of the gospel itself is God moving the story of humanity from death to life by way of humility and surprisingly generous hospitality unto sinners of every stripe. Holy Spirit power, humble love, generous, almost inexplicable hospitality. These are how God transforms the story of all creation. Look, here's water. What's to prevent me from being baptized? One final question in our story comes from the Ethiopian eunuch who has been moved that this Jesus is like this. He wants to follow this Jesus, know this Jesus, submit to this Jesus. Now had the story begun without the Holy Spirit leading these two men, humbling, opening, the answer would have been readily apparent had the story begun just right here. What's to prevent you, eunuch, from being baptized? Well, just about everything. You're barred by the law of God from being fully within the people of God. I, Philip, I am commissioned by the apostles to be a deacon. I am not commissioned to preach. I am not commissioned to baptize. Everything about this idea is out of bounds, out of order, not possible. But having sat in the eunuch's chariot and shared scripture with him, Philip starts to see the matter differently. The eunuch is baptized. And whatever allegiances the eunuch had to the Ethiopian Ethiopian empire, and whatever security he may have known in his wealth, those allegiances and securities have been drowned in baptism. A distant second to his allegiance to Jesus as Lord. He is forever changed by this encounter and goes on his way rejoicing. And Philip too, in doing the baptism, dies to an old way of understanding who's in and who's out and just how God might go about making that happen. And then just like that, the spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away. And this portion of our story ends. It's a story that began in the out there portion of out there where we encounter an unlikely Ethiopian eunuch from the edge of the world. We encounter water in the desert 
And then it ends with Philip whisked away. It makes the whole thing story feel somewhat surreal. Like it's taking place in another dimension of reality. And I actually think there's something that rings true about that. It is an otherworldly story. So many of the this-worldly stories that hit the headlines every single day are fueled by anxiety or fear or ambition or greed or anger. Read the headlines. Read the stories. Consider what is making so many of these stories move. Many of the stories we find ourselves in scurrying about, making decisions about, they are fueled by, well, what do you discern? What is making us go, really? What is behind all of our speeding up and going about? Maybe we've gotten so used to the pace and way that we don't even realize what some of our most fundamental drivers and motivators are that lead forward the story. But what if today the church again let Jesus lead? What if we took today to listen afresh to the Holy Spirit who may in fact nudge us toward and not away the mystery, the other? What if today the church filled afresh with the Holy Spirit who had us moving toward that other with humility, perhaps even leading with questions? What if today the church found its story moving forward redemptively because another out there extended welcome in their chariot? That would be otherworldly. That would be water in the desert. That would transform everybody involved. That would be the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.